Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We are very glad you are here for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool awaits. We have good slash crazy, bad, and crazy again for our martinis today, all brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today with ExpressVPN, expressvpn.com slash martini. Much more on them a little bit later in the podcast. And Jim, let's start with our good martini. Uh, A couple of special congressional elections took place on Tuesday. One of them, for sure, we know the results. Not a surprise in Wisconsin's 7th Congressional District, where Sean Duffy resigned a couple months back. The Republican won that race quite handily. Tom Tiffany, 57% of the vote compared to 43% of the vote for Democrat Tricia Zunker. Out in California, the 25th district, it's the race to replace Katie Hill. Yes, you remember Katie Hill of uh, Thruple fame. But uh, this was actually and has been a very competitive seat that Republicans have won frequently in the past. But uh, Katie Hill won it in 2018. We don't have an official winner here yet, but it looks like Republican Mike Garcia has a commanding lead. That's the verbiage in the Ventura County Star. He has 56% of the vote right now against Christy Smith, the Democrat, 44%. The reason we don't have an actual winner declared yet is because it's almost all by mail. According to officials there, more than 420,000 ballots were mailed to voters in Los Angeles and Ventura counties right now. Uh, almost 108,000 ballots have been counted, and we're not going to get another update probably till Friday. So, Jim, that's the crazy part of this good martini. But let's start with the fact that Republicans did what they needed to do in Wisconsin, and it looks like they uh, are in good position to win back the seat in California. Yeah, I think the Southern California one is the one that really kind of jumps out here. Look, the Republicans just got, you know, slaughtered in all kinds of suburban districts across the country in 2018 midterms. And, you know, one of those areas was Southern California. People are like, oh, you know, it's LA, it's all Democrats. Well, no, actually, there were some congressional districts that were suburbs that were, you know, controlled by the Republicans for quite a few years. And then they just got wiped out. And one of them was Katie Hill. Probably the less said about her, the better. But this was an interesting measuring stick of could there be a Republican comeback down here? Now, obviously, this is a really weird set of circumstances to hold an ele- a special uh, an election in. Special elections always have lower turnout. Um, You can end up winning seats that you really have no business winning, so to speak. I'm thinking of a Republican seat, House seat in Hawaii a couple of years ago. Republicans managed to win Anthony Weiner's old district after his infamous resignation. You know, right side of circumstances, you can win a seat where the, the demographics are, you know, terribly against you in a special election. Maybe this, obviously here, now you add in the vote by mail. And oh, by the way, I, I generally think that vote by mail can work. It has worked in places like Colorado and Washington and um, other states for quite some time. If you have the infrastructure, if you have a professional and trusted state elections committee uh, who's, who's administering all this stuff and counting all, counting all the votes, then yeah, it should work just fine. Not every state has this, and you probably don't want to enact a big sweeping change on the fly, and the fact that California, t- I mean, did they, they have finished counting the primary votes, right, Greg? <laughs> I, I mean, it's been on for weeks and weeks. Yeah, it did, you know? it did. And most people like to know their winner, obviously, as quickly as possible. We're used to having it, oh, it's too close to call late on election night, and then you find out the next morning, or staying up until the wee hours of the morning, waiting to see those last couple precincts report. 
you know, the fact that, oh, we'll let you know in a week is really not uh, all that reassuring. The slow count, I mean, I suppose everybody can hold their head up high compared to Iowa. Uh, the caucuses, <laughs> but that's, that's about it. Um, look, does this mean that there's a potential Republican comeback? You know, look, this is probably a, uh, you know, a really unusual set of circumstances. Uh, but then again, we don't know what the state of the coronavirus outbreak is going to be uh, come November. A lot of people are saying they'd rather vote by mail. They're a little worried about standing online and trying to space themselves out six feet apart. So maybe these unusual circumstances we're seeing here in Southern California are a little more representative of the voting situation we're going to see across the country in November. Look, as a Repu- if you're rooting for the Republicans, you'd rather see them win than lose. You'll take any win you can get. This does look like a fairly sizable lead. Um, but, you know, this is California. <laughs> so something going wrong where they arrested the surfer for not social distancing. So, uh, you know, you never know exactly how this is going to shake out. I was talking uh, a few weeks back with uh, Hans von Spakovsky. That's always a fun name to say, but he's a good guy. He works at the Heritage Foundation. He's in charge of their election reform project there. And he says, you know, we might be in a position as we get closer to election day this year that this is going to have to be a much more aggressive vote by mail effort than normally, although more people have been doing that in recent cycles than before. But he says, do you have to do it the right way? His idea is to send out notices to everyone at their current addresses that says, uh, confirm that you still live here and we'll send you your ballot. Because if you just send out ballots to everybody uh, and don't have updated uh, ideas of where they live and, and that sort of thing, that's where you risk uh, having a lot of problems. Because right now, even with these uh, coronavirus relief checks, you got a lot of people who are dead. You got a lot of people who don't live where the government thought they lived as recently as their last tax returns and so forth. And so far, they're just sheepishly asking people to send it back. And so we don't want that uh, kind of sloppiness to be happening with the ballot. So you're right that other states have figured this out. It'll be very interesting to see if we have to go down this road, uh, how fast these other states can actually get their act together. It's going to be very clear that it's going to be more prevalent than usual. But uh, if we have a clear front runner on election night, and then it takes weeks and weeks and uh, lo and behold, uh, somebody else wins. You're going to have a lot of ugliness going on in this country, regardless of which way it goes. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, people need to get started on the transition. <laughs> you know, if, if there's a new president, we, we had this delay in the uh, transition from the Clinton administration to the Bush administration because of the lengthy recount in Florida. And, you know, there are a lot of ramifications of that, including some people argued the fact that you at the uh, Bush national security team did not hit the ground running. And, you know, some people argued that was a factor in 9-11. Probably wasn't the biggest factor, but, you know, it could be a factor. Um, for Three Martini Lunch listeners, a good way to keep uh, track of the Hans. Uh, Von Spakovsky is the good one. Gruber <laughs> is the bad one. And everything he says is, is, you know, makes absolute perfect sense. I do find it deeply frustrating. The fact that so many people have tried to push back against voter ID uh, all of these other things makes a lot of people believe that their state election officials cannot be trusted, that uh, someone must be trying to cheat or something like that. And I believe that, you know, voting, it's a fundamental American right, but it also is what a, a responsibility. And I don't know how much the government is supposed to bend over backwards. I think if you want to vote, you need to do things like <clears throat> register to vote. Uh, that, that doesn't seem like an incredible imposition upon you. Um, you know, you have a responsibility to make sure that you're uh, properly registered, that you have ID and you can say where you are, to know where your voting place, your, your precinct place is, all these sorts of things. Uh, if, you're, if you think there's a chance you won't be uh, able to vote on election day, you probably have a, a good, good chance you should go out and get an absentee ballot. 
Um, I think it should be very easy to get an absentee ballot rather than the, you know, some states take a, a rather stricter rules for that sort of thing. Again, if everybody trusted each other, this would be a very easy problem to solve. But unfortunately, it's California and many other states, so people don't. <laughs> exactly right. Jim, you know what I haven't seen today uh, with Republican winning in Wisconsin and likely winning in California? I haven't seen a single article from the mainstream press about how it's a harbinger for November. Not one. <laughs> well, it's only a harbinger if the right side wins. <laughs> That's right. That's, uh, you know, special election. Nobody's paying attention. Anyway, let's uh, talk about ExpressVPN because... We're going to be talking about L.A. County again and uh, how folks there are going to be staying home for a while. So if you've been stuck at home these days, which all of us have, you probably don't think much about Internet privacy on your own home network. You just fire up incognito mode on the browser and no one can see what you're doing, right, including your Internet service provider? Wrong. Even in incognito mode, your online activity can be traced. Even if you clear your browsing history, your Internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited. That's why even when you're at home, you should never go online without using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN makes sure that your internet service provider can't see which sites you have visited. Instead, your internet connection is rerouted through ExpressVPN's secure servers. Each ExpressVPN server has an IP address that is shared amongst thousands of users. That means everything you do is anonymized and it cannot be traced back to you. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data with best-in-class encryption, so your information will always be protected. Use the internet with confidence from your computer, tablet, or smartphone. ExpressVPN has you covered on every device. Simply tap one button and you are protected. ExpressVPN is the fastest and most trusted VPN on the market. It is rated number one by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and countless more. So protect your online activity today with the VPN that you can trust to secure your privacy. Visit our special link at expressvpn.com martini, and you can get an extra three months free when you get a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash martini, expressvpn.com slash martini to learn more. All right, Jim, we teased Los Angeles County news and we are going to deliver. It's not just election news today from Southern California. Yesterday, this news broke. This is uh, ABC 7, KABC in Los Angeles. Los Angeles County officials are recommending that the stay-at-home order be extended for the next three months as the region continues efforts to reduce the spread of the coronavirus. At a Board of Supervisors meeting on Tuesday, County Public Health Director Dr. Barbara Ferrer said the order will, quote, with all certainty, unquote, be extended unless there is, quote, a dramatic change to the virus and tools at hand. Well, that set off a lot of people not being very happy. So Eric Garcetti, the mayor of L.A., went on CNN last night and tried to do some damage control. He says when our county health officer, uh, Dr. Ferrer, merely said that an order would stay in place for at least three more months, that doesn't mean the order stays in place exactly as it is today. It's just a reminder of how delicate and fragile this time is. But do not freak out when you hear a scientist say that it's still going to be here and we're still going to be living under health orders. So, Jim, I'm sure L.A. is not going to be the only area uh, suggesting such a thing. But I remember when Ralph Northam said it's going to be at least June back in March and we didn't like it very much. And that was before we were hunkered down for two months already. So what do you make of L.A.'s actions here? You know, Greg, I was so frustrated by how wrongheaded this decision seemed uh, by the city of Los Angeles, Greg, 
that I was surprised that it came from the, the health officials. I strongly suspected that the force behind the decision was Deputy Chief Dwayne T. Robinson. <laughs> um, turns out it was not. Turns out he's a fictional character. Um, back when, when, uh, when Northam made his decision here in Virginia, I remember thinking, why can't these guys make these decisions on a, like a two-week basis? Because, you know, Los Angeles does not know how bad the spread is going to be in the city at the state of you know, come July. They don't know what it's going to be like come August. We're having a tough time just kind of getting you know, a good handle on what the state is now. You know, why not at least say we're going to make this based on decisions and we're going to make this based on or we're going to make this decision based upon the data that we see. We're open to a sooner opening at least leave some caveats, leave some room for this improving. Um, it's, it's been frustrating because you see some of these government officials, people's willingness to follow these orders and people's, let's just say their ability to function under these orders is going to be at a different state in week nine, which we are now in the middle of, than it was in week one or week two. I sometimes get the feeling that the people who are making these decisions, Greg, are basing them on some sort of like computer simulation of a human being instead of the way actual human beings are and what human beings actually need. It's not like the city of Los Angeles is completely unheard of, say, mass disruptions and disobedience to police uh, actions and law enforcement. You know? um, this, this, this struck me as, as really wild and, and kind of frustrating. But I also see that you know, across the country, Bill de Blasio, the hero of this pandemic, uh, <laughs> has already decided that city pools will be closed for the entirety of the summer. They've already canceled the city uh, summer jobs program for teens, most of the city summer camps and other programs. As I wrote in the corner yesterday, what are kids supposed to do this summer? You've already said to them they can't go to school since like mid-March. They haven't seen anybody. There are no summer, you know, no summer camps, no summer schools, no summer programs, uh, closing public pools. You know, first of all, if we're, we're going to reopen the economy, I guess, Greg, we're just doing it without working parents to, to hit something that's probably hit a nerve close to you and me, you know. Um, there's just kind of this wildly unrealistic expectation that we can take one part of our, uh, our equation for how we function as a society, shut it down entirely, and expect everybody else to scramble around that. I, I, again, you are now at the, we were now in the third month of people doing this. The idea that, oh, you're going to have to do this for another three months. We should expect pushback to this. People are going to be very, you know, people not only are going to want to hear it, I, I, you know, the economic consequences have been severe. Um, I think one of the lessons is that people don't really pay much attention to city health uh, officials until it matters. And then when it matters a lot, all of a sudden you've got folks who are uh, less than fully reassuring, shall we say, uh, managing matters of, you know, critical to the, the functioning of the city. Jim, you've crunched the data as well as anyone. Some of the response I've seen to this announcement coming out of Los Angeles has been, well, the goalposts are getting moved here. This was originally about flattening the curve. And now it feels like it's about we have to do this until the virus is almost essentially extinct. Uh, have we crossed that line or where are we here, do you think? No, it, it feels like a fair one. I think in, in, uh, closer to home, uh, you know, Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C., people have gone back and looked at her justifications for the various lockdowns. And they have changed every couple of weeks. The peak is always seems to be two weeks away. Um, those of us with long memories can, recur, you know, can remember the days of the Freedman unit where Tom Friedman, for the first couple of years of the Iraq war, said that the next six months in Iraq are going to be decisive. And of course, six months would pass. And then he would say, the next six months are going to be decisive. It always feels like the next couple of weeks are really vital for this. But look, on the issue of hospital capacity, um, there's a, you know, previewing a piece that I'll have coming up on National Review in a little bit. 
Um, Army Corps of Engineers took 17 convention centers and other sites and turned them into emergency field hospitals. Greg, nine of them never saw any patients. Now, some of them did. You know, Javits Convention Center, that treated more than 1,000 patients. Um, other ones were like in double digits, and you probably remember a great deal of discussion about the uh, U.S. Naval Ship Comfort up in New York City, U.S. Naval Ship Mercy. The Mercy shut down, or, or it has left, you know, it's shut down for Los Angeles. They treated 77 patients over a six-week period. By and large, the city's hospitals, or the country's hospitals, had the space for this. There are a couple, couple of places where it got really bad. New York City, Detroit, Prince George's County. And in those cases, they had to move patients around. Um, but by and large, if the argument was, we don't want the hospitals to get deluged, mission accomplished. And now the question is, all right, how much can we safely reopen society? And when you change the standards and you say, oh, no, no, we need declining days of, of you know, this many consecutive days. You know, Greg, I can't tell you how many times I've screamed at my television or at my website <laughs> because I scream. Uh, no, because they would say, there's some ominous numbers as the number of positive cases in the state of Virginia are going up. Yes, because we're doing more testing, right? The media, by treating an increasing number of cases, when you do an increasing number of, of testing, ends up creating this giant disincentive to do more testing because it's automatically believed, well, if you're detecting more, more, more positive cases, you must be in terrible shape. You must be doing something wrong. Quick, batten down the hatches. Everybody go back into their homes. You know, we've been hearing, we need more testing. We need more testing. We need more testing for, for weeks and months now. We're getting it. The number rate of testing is increasing dramatically. And then all of a sudden they're treating this idea that, oh, well, you know, we've now created this, I, seeing more positive cases must be a crisis. We all have to, to you know, react very strongly. I did a, a uh, unusual step of, of critiquing a good friend of mine who had seen a headline, shared it on Facebook about the case situation here in Virginia. And he fumed about it. He says, God, people are so stupid. You look at the article. The article talked about how uh, Northern Virginia was having a particularly high rate of cases. Well, the three, are, the three things in this article said that Northern Virginia is having more cases because Northern Virginia has more population. Greg, did you know that Fairfax County has twice as many cases as the next, uh, as the next highest county? The reason for that is because we have the, uh, more than twice as many people as any other county. So we yes. should not be surprised to have more. The second one was that testing had, number of testing had increased. Lo and behold, you do more testing, you find more positive cases. And the third one was they had decided to take the potential cases, but they're not sure. They were still processing. They put it into the, the, uh, the number of cases pile. I have no particular objection to that. But when you do those three things, you end up creating a higher number. And I said to, had to felt the need to say to my friend, none of this was behavior related. None of this was people um, gathering in large groups. None of this was people... Uh, coughing on each other as they go to the supermarket. None of this stuff, none of this was based, it was all based on how you choose to count them. And it's pretty significant. And this was, you know, it, my friend's a smart guy. You know, the fact that it could, uh, the headline could mislead him indicates, I think that most, most people who saw it were, mis, were misled by that. And it's deeply frustrating that we cannot have contextually accurate conversations about what we're seeing in the data. Jim, this is obviously not as critical as what we just discussed, but your reference to Dwayne T. Robinson brings the question to mind because we've obviously uh, come to appreciate the LAPD in uh, so many different ways. But if you were in a crisis situation and lived in Los Angeles, who would you rather have show up from the LAPD? Would it be Deputy Chief Dwayne T. Robinson, who was uh, roundly castigated for his handling of the Nakatomi Plaza uh, fiasco in 1988, or Frank Drebin? <laughs> 
Think carefully, because I'm not sure it's as easy as you think. Al Powell would be my first guess. <laughs> Al Powell, there you go. There you go. He's or you know, Murtaugh and Riggs, because I'm pretty sure that uh, Riggs would try to figure out a way to shoot the virus. That's right. There's a lot more than just those two guys. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now. And uh, Jim, this one will be pretty quick, but... Uh, you know, everyone's uh, trying to get the best coronavirus coverage, or at least we thought they were. Uh, there's a town hall coming up on CNN Thursday evening. I'm sure you're setting your DVRs right now. Here's CNN's uh, Twitter plug for this town hall. Former acting CDC director Richard Besser, former HHS secretary Kathleen Sebelius, and activist Greta Thunberg join Anderson Cooper and Dr. Sanjay Gupta for a live CNN town hall, coronavirus. Facts and fears. And so they have uh, two officials whose resumes, at least, would uh, lead you to believe they know something about this. Uh, both were officials during the Obama administration. And then they decided to uh, go with the climate change activist teenager who skipped school for a lot of months last year. How dare you? Uh, who, uh, as far as I know, Jim, has not gotten uh, a degree, much less an A, in uh, virology. So what do you make of uh, Greta joining the panel here? Oh, you know, Greg, I would love if the first question would be, so Greta, the closure of the schools hasn't really affected you very much, now has it? <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm going to reveal something about cable news. Here's the thing. If you're going to do a special event, uh, then you really should try to get the best experts you can. You probably shouldn't worry about um, getting well-known names that will drive up the ratings or something. Asking Greta Thunberg to talk about virology is kind of like asking the sheriff of Broward County to talk about gun violence. Oh, wait, CNN did that. Um, yeah, but see, the, the thing that kind of jumps out here is that Greta Thunberg, even if you accept her as an expert on climate change, which she really isn't, she's an impassioned activist about climate change. And some of us have pointed out that, like, there are certain indications the people who are supposed to be taking care of Greta Thunberg are not doing a, trend, a good job of taking care of Greta Thunberg, that they're not putting her interests first, that they're not trying to figure out what is best for her, that they're eager to exploit her as something of an activist celebrity uh, that's good to put on television. But even putting all of that aside, you know, she's a climate change activist. Is climate change a factor in this virus? Eh, not really. You, you could make an argument that... Uh, the, the, you know, search for resources sends humanity deeper into the wild, wild parts of the world. And that that is, you know, makes us more likely to encounter new, you know, species like bats and pangolins and puts it at a greater risk of encountering a new virus. But really, this is not a climate change story. In fact, if anything, it's drastically reducing the carbon emissions going on around the world right now. Um, but the, the idea is, well, you know, that's a science issue. And virology and coronavirus is a science issue. So Greta, Van, Greta must be exactly the right person you should ask about this. That's not how it works. And to give you a sense, like, you know, so I've, I've invited to do a lot less cable news than I used to. But there was a, you know, there was a time when CNN used to have me on Sunday nights with uh, John Aravosis. I was the right of center guy. He was the left of center guy. Generally, they did a pretty good job of giving us the topics that we were going to be talking about. Not the questions, but just, you know, know what we should be prepared to talk about. And I remember one time, out of the blue... Rick Sanchez, no longer with the network, and in fact, nobody's heard from him for a good long time. Um, Sanchez, at the end of the segment, we had a few, like one or two minutes left, and he decided to ask about Arlen Specter, who wanted to investigate Inflategate, I think it was, or so. It was something involving the Patriots and Belichick. Because, you know, the Patriots and Belichick are the root of all evil in the universe. 
And uh, this was not on our preparation list. This was not something any producers and anybody got over. It just kind of popped into Rick Sanchez's head and he wanted to talk about this. Listeners to this podcast know I follow football. I was up to speed on the story and could at least give a one or two pithy comments about this. John Arabosis, my impression is he was not a football fan and had no idea what this was going on. You don't bring on John, you know, I'm on good terms, or at least I was on good terms with John Arabosis. You know, if you're talking political stuff, he's a perfectly, he's probably as good as you're going to find in terms of a lefty talking head. He wasn't following the football stuff and it was kind of unfair to him, but this is, this is how cable news operates. Well, if you're there, you're, you know, the old joke about calling these people talking heads, you need to have a head and you need to be able to talk. And that's the qualifications you need for this. So the idea of, you know, what's uh, Greta, she'll do. Let's have her ask her a bunch of questions about virology. You know, there's no reason to expect any of this. I hope people get into Greta. What do you, you how many states do you think the RH factor should be below 1.0 before it becomes safe to reopen society? And, And just, you know, hopefully, you know, my guess is she'd probably say, how dare you or something. Coronavirus, you have stolen my April <laughs> and my May. Oh, and Kathleen Sebelius. Wow. Everybody's missed her. Good I mean, she- maybe she could build a website to help us figure this out. <laughs> I hope she joins from Atlanta because I'm pretty sure the area code down there is 404, which is, I think. The- <laughs> Jim, it's never dull. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget our wonderful sponsors over at ExpressVPN, expressvpn.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review with five stars. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us again on Thursday for your next Three Martini Lunch.